0: Mike Duffy called them the Boys in Short Pants I they're both boys and girls Because I've seen them. Women and men
1: Hello this is episode 71 of the Boys in Short Pants The 72nd episode I'm Laurent Carboneau i mates in Rainville And uh, we have a whole bunch of things on the go today And apologies for the, the, the late episode Well late episode The sort of AWOL episodes <laughs> The sort of ghosts of Unborn episodes Of, of past weeks <laughs> uh because we didn't get around to recording because we were busy what you're chuckling over? oh because it was a horrifically graphic metaphor Sorry. Yes. uh we'll just move right on through that uh one thing we're not going to talk about today is the alberta election uh because it is the day before the alberta election monday night uh they are voting tomorrow uh to choose their new marshmallowy overlord um though he's much less marshmallow than he used to be
0: uh, Jason Kenny is in quite good shape these days. Yeah, he's
1: he's looking good. I guess all that driving around on a blue truck
0: uh, paid off. So, I mean, I know where we've in the agenda said that we're going to skip over Alberta, but I guess. It's no better time to put you on the record for a prediction than right now. Than right before?
1: Yeah. What do you? Uh, I think the Conservatives, like at this point, it's pretty clear they're going to win. The me, NDP give... had a lot of momentum the first two weeks or so of the election that seemed to have kind
0: of stalled out. I didn't ask for your analysis. I just want a seat count so I can hold you. Oh, against... I see
1: Well, how, let's see. There's like twenty something in the Edmonton region. Yes, ish. I'd say like I don't know. I like a good night for the NDP would be like thirty something. 35?
0: 35. That'd be
1: like a good night for them.
0: It's what, a eighty seven seat legislature? Yeah, that's, that's about plausible to me. Um, and then what The and then call the, call all the parties. David Phil Derek Fildebrand, does he get a spot? I don't think so. No, I don't think so either. Uh Alberta Party, one or two seats. One, two, or zero seats. I think seats. they're
1: actually gonna get owned. I think they're gonna eat
0: shit. You think they're gonna own yeah. Steve Stephen Mandel, former mayor of Edmonton? No? I think they're gonna eat shit uh okay that leaves alberta the or uh the liberals. alberta liberals
1: i don't know why but the liberals are so sneaky that i think they might win one
0: i think actually the liberals will get pushed out by the ndp in their writing well i hope so um so you what was your first number 35 yeah i don't know why not so i'm gonna do the math backwards on how, how many ucps it'd be like that 50 needs. some Yeah, well, yeah, I think we're going to be pretty similar here. Yeah. I think they'll sort of split Calgary, win most of Edmonton, and I think all of the other leaders are likely hooped. Maybe one Alberta party seat.
1: Yeah. What happened to Thumb Guy? Who's Thumb Guy? Steve, I don't know, Greg Clark.
0: Oh, Greg Clark got pushed out of the Alberta Party by right. all the former PC folks. Right, 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 right. Who wanted to make the Alberta Party PC, the PC party. Yeah. Um, and then they ended up with Stephen Mandel as their leader. Yeah. Who is bad at filing paperwork. And
1: he's different, like a different guy than Howie Mandel. Yeah. Just to be clear. Okay.
0: And Stephen Mandel didn't file. Does he have his... a weird little soul patch? No. Okay. Let's check it. I don't think so. He didn't file his paperwork in time, and he actually got. Booted. Right, Elections
1: Alberto was like, can't run for like two elections or something.
0: Yeah. He was like, oh. <laughs> and he, he had to get that overturned in the courts. That's pretty so funny. He, he's back in the game, but just barely. Didn't they just have like an absolutely
1: batshit platform too?
0: Some parts of it are absolutely nuts.
1: Yeah. I, I remember you were sending me stuff, and you're like, "I thought I was gonna like this, but like it's <laughs> nuts." <laughs> yeah, but
0: yeah. We can
1: we can talk about that in more detail another time.
0: Th- those were the crazier sides. Of, well, we're never no. There's never going to be a, we're, no, we're not going to do relevant all, to talk about Party. the Alberta Party platform. Two well, what from
1: was that. it? Was that they were going to keep Alberta like inc- federal income tax money? Yes. Yeah, because they didn't want to pay it out to equalization, which is like definitely how that works. <laughs> and
0: just do like, well, yeah, they're. Uh, No, not pay the income tax money. I don't think it was income tax equalization. But just keep the income tax money and collect it federally, which is a horrible idea for uh, many reasons. Um, And it was also like, we just want everything Quebec has ever got for us. It's like, that's, that's not how it works, boys. Like, I'm sorry. Like, bad idea, Stephen. Yeah. I mean, yes,
1: they'll be able to keep their language, (laughs) it <laughs> would be really helpful like some
0: of this stuff just doesn't apply <laughs> like i think immigration is maybe the okay. biggest one like we want alberta to declare yeah our, a, our new immigration a within a nation our,
1: our new immigration minister a bumper sticker on the back of a chevy that says fuck off we're full <laughs>
0: That that is actually a a false characterization of <laughs> the great province that is Alberta. No, it's a very like immigrant-friendly province. Anyways, in general, anyways, but... let's let's not get too okay. far off the rails as we're already off the rails. We like never.
1: Are we anywhere? we were not. We were not born to be train enthusiasts because we're <laughs> never anywhere near any kind of
0: rails. Um, Let, let's go back to what's the actual topic. Uh,
1: we're going to talk about Canada's most beloved uh, legislative chamber. Is, is that the Senate? It is the Senate. I, I hope it's the Senate. Canada's only upper house.
0: Yes. yeah so yeah, yeah. All, the, all the provincial i don't know if any of the provinces had one once upon a time uh ontario
1: no. didn't most of the others did okay
0: i don't I most don't some I, didn't I don't, I don't
1: think any of the prairies did actually i don't think
0: i was alive for any of that so no that no yeah, you, you, you r- rule it out
1: unless there's like some serious mysteries and missing here <laughs> you were not alive for, for any i actually
0: uh is it benjamin Button? who's the who's the reverse aging person that's the reverse aging person yes yeah yes that's me
1: okay congratulations (laughs) so uh yeah so there was news of the senate this week because uh the liberals um well i suppose the government representative in the senate peter to peter harder uh (laughs) as i call him um basically came out and said we're gonna basically put all this legislation that we have to get through on a very strict time allocation thing except not really time allocation because so, the Senate's different well you you follow this very closely because of your day job i gather so why don't you tell us about what happened in the senate Just so to explain it better than me
0: basically the senators were not getting along with each other and you know that's that happens but the senate is a body that largely um, relies upon gentlemen's agreement between the different leaders um, to sort of sort out their their scheduling As mm-hmm. this is the house um, to a certain extent and oh yeah uh, the, no the,
1: like House leaders negotiations are all like, constant yeah.
0: so the Senate the Senate's very similar um, but in the Senate there's it's perhaps to a greater extent um, because you don't see things like time allocation being used in the Senate very often right if very, very often at all. Um, so, in with that in mind, Harder uh, tabled a, uh, basically, a huge time allocation motion called a programming motion, or he put, he put it on notice, he didn't table it, Right. Um, that would time allocate a whole bunch of different bills. It was 11 bills, as it like, Yeah, I think, 11 yeah. or 13, somewhere in that range, um, and basically set timelines for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, this didn't go down well. It was basically considered like a procedural nuclear bomb. Nuclear. Uh, shut up. And Harder eventually withdrew it and went back to negotiations with the ISG and Conservatives, and they came back with a agreement signed by the four uh, leaders um, that provided uh, report stage and uh, third reading timelines. Wait, four. Yes. Wait, who are the four?
1: Because we've got Peter 2 Peter Harder. Yes. we got uh, Yoon Pao Wu of the ISG. Correct. Don Platt for the Conservatives. Yes. Who, who's the mysterious fourth
0: person? The Liberals. Oh, right. I forgot about them. <laughs> so Larry Smith with the uh, Conservatives and Joseph Day. For the liberals very good um and so basically it lays out yeah as i said the report date and the third. The senate
1: reading... liberals to be clear they're no longer part of the national liberal caucus yeah it's... as of several, many
0: years at this point it's ancient yeah. history it's dumb um so yeah okay I, I was underestimating a little bit in some cases um it's the second reading vote the report date and the third reading vote um, so of note on the agreement that they signed, there are three bills that are exe- that haven't had a third reading vote date set for them. Okay, the three bills being forty nine. Wait,
1: do you say report date? Yes. So basically, it was
0: dictating to the committees. Correct.
1: Okay, that's. I can see why that was a problem.
0: Well, I mean, this as as long as it's in agreement with everyone. Well, yeah, but yeah.
1: that's not what happened <laughs> yeah
0: so i mean in this one there's report dates for every bill so every committee okay. knows what day it's supposed to report by um but three are absent third reading votes okay which basically means and you and especially when you look at the list of bills that you can interpret it as the conservative saying we reserve the right to right ra- rag the puck on these okay and so the three bills without any further ado are 49 the oil tanker moratorium sure um, relevant to BC. Which,
1: well, and they're doing hearings on that now, I think. Or they were in Alberta. And what, what I heard is that the conservative senators are basically no, breaking after hearings to, to go door knock. But, uh
0: You're thinking
1: environmental. Assessment, C69. I think yeah. it, they were doing a traveling study of 48 hmm. and the effects it would have. It was one or the other, but I'm pretty sure it was oil tankers, but it doesn't really matter.
0: I, I think you're wrong. It doesn't
1: particularly matter. Because... I don't think I'm wrong. But.
0: Well, well, we'll double check. But I know 69 is doing their... Horse and pony show all across Western Alberta, uh, Western Canada, right now. Okay, which is why very possibly I, which is why I think you're wrong. Okay, fair so enough. I'm going to gloat later about okay. this. Feel free. Uh, but, but you're you're skipping ahead. Uh, 68, which is the Fisheries Act uh and then 69 which is the environmental assessment act so among the bills they're among sort of the ones that conservatives would perceive to be more controversial and more problematic sure um notably not included in that is 71 which is the firearms bill indeed um that we talked about once upon a time on here with mark johnson um and that bill has had its own sort of interesting procedural stuff going on in that the conservatives joined by i believe a non-affiliated i think he's non-affiliated he might have been ISG uh member on i think it's secti um made pretty sweeping changes to that legislation hmm. um so it'll be an interesting case where it comes back at report stage might get voted down at report stage or the the amendments are voted right, against right
1: and they're going to be if you want changes in the house at this point, you're kind of hooped. Well... Wait, what do you mean? Like, if they have to send it back to the house, if it's... Oh, know, a lot of these
0: bills will go back to the house. Yeah.
1: They're, that's going to be tough.
0: Well, the, the, the ping pong can take anywhere from days to weeks.
1: Yes. But that's the thing, is, like, there's not that much runway at this point.
0: There's not, but at the same time, there is a lot of runway. Because the ping pong, when you're in the last weeks, it can happen pretty much instantaneously. Like... If...
1: The op- yeah, like... There's a lot of ifs there. Not
0: really. There's, uh, what they're... what are the ifs? Expand, expand well, the ifs the is ifs. like
1: how much do the conservatives and NDP want to play procedural hardball in terms of like forcing votes on stuff, like dragging, like dragging the puck in the, that chamber. They like... just time time allocated immediately. Like, but you know, time allocation, like you have to have votes on, and yeah. like you, there is plenty of grit you can throw in these gears to like really so grind stuff
0: this was reasonably similar to uh what happened at the end of session last year there were other bills cannabis among them mm-hmm. i think the transportation modernization act that were in very similar positions they were doing the ping pong back and forth and the clock was ticking and what happened was cannabis i believe it was time allocated we went back to the senate the senate said oh no my vacation is calling i've got, <laughs> I've got my timeshare <clears throat> booked in florida it's time to go packer and boys Um, so that, that's it. Like we, so we will see ping pong on a handful of these bills. I would expect that, uh, 69 be amended. I would expect that 68 be amended. Um, I would expect that 81, which is the accessible Canada act be amended. Um, maybe others, likely the national security bill, C 59. Mm. Um, the difference with, so, but to separate all of those aside from 71, again, what's interesting about 71 is is that the conservatives basically managed to unilaterally amend it in committee. Yeah. And the Senate as a chamber is likely to vote down the amendments right. imposed by the committee. Um, which then it will go proceed unamended unless it's amended at like third reading or something. Which is unlikely. Yes. Yes. Um, so, I mean, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. But one of the more interesting procedural things to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so wait, to, to backtrack a little bit here.
1: Yes, because there was something that irritated you about this whole process. Well, yeah.
0: Out. So, I mean, anyone who's watching this, uh, Harder's negotiations with Wu and Larry Smith, the the first inclination of a lot of people was to blame the conservatives. But, I mean, as, as we've noted before, it's sort of a gentleman's process um, and it just seemed like Harder didn't do his due diligence when it came to negotiating this. That's the
1: sense I got from the, the reporting I read on this.
0: Um, and Wu, who's often done this, I think piled on to the conservatives just because it's, it's very obvious they don't get along very well. But for Wu, who has ostensibly the majority of senators to blame the conservatives who are a minority group, is like the NDP blaming the conservatives... Sorry, no, the conservatives blaming the NDP... For not partaking in negotiations with the liberals, like it doesn't really make any sense. Like they're ostensibly the ones in the position of power, and yeah, yet the liberals, and yet the they're NDP. rattled that the minority caucus isn't negotiating with them when it should be the liberal or the liberals being the government in this case, or the government represented harder, harder, yeah, taking the initiative to structure negotiations.
1: Yes, rather than well, the, the whole ISG is like something i i think made sense when they started it because it was like okay you need some sort of like institutional framework for all these new senators fair enough now i think it's getting to the point where it's like it's not a helpful institution in the sense that you're having someone negotiate on their behalf who they're not really like bound to honor that yes in any significant way I like think, except for procedurally, and I, even then, I'm sure if one of them wanted to gum up the works, they could.
0: I, I think that's one of the problems, though, is I think it's often framed as I can't negotiate on their behalf. Yeah, I I will do some like, oh, like give me a range of positions, and I can go back and consult everyone on these range of positions, which is like, the Senate is like dramatically inefficient in how they operate day to day to begin with. With like well, they the, have whole, the scroll, the, and yeah, like, yeah. Don't even ask. It's a horrible. We really procedure. should.
1: We really should do a senate procedure bit at some point because it is it is wonderfully baroque
0: if you can find one of two people in canada who fully understand senate procedure well
1: one of them is the clerk of the house of commons Ironically, <laughs> yes. yeah.
0: but much to the chagrin of the the former deputy clerk of the house of commons Indeed. I imagine. much of the chagrin of the senate i'm sure yes i mean all all of the above no yeah. one is no one is happy about that no
1: well i imagine he's happy uh <laughs> okay that's maybe that's... i he seemed to really like the senate anyway well <laughs>
0: Uh, so yeah, here. I mean, no, where where you were going was right. It's the idea that you know the ISG at this point. I would really encourage them to break into coalitions of like-minded senators. Yeah, that
1: just like um, like who you share get similar eight, interests. Is it eight people for a minimum? I think. Yeah, like, yeah. Just find eight, to seven people who are your friends, and or they're not your friends, but you just happen to agree on a lot of stuff, and like have a principled bargaining position with the government and say you want stuff and like use that legislative power i don't know like yes just seems to make more sense than this just amorphous blob that doesn't seem to function at all no i'm i
0: unanimous consent here yeah
1: i mean i like obviously i have issues with the whole unelected legislators thing in the first place but like you know if we're gonna have it like it may as well work yeah Oh, nice. I'm with you. This seems reasonable. All right. Yeah. Well, that is that the Senate squared away. Anything else you want to say about that? No, that's about it. Okay, that's about it. Uh. Well. Okay. How about fridges? You have any thoughts on refrigeration?
0: So, 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 so these are law laws. It's law laws, Loblaw. right? Yeah. Jeez. All right. So that, I mean, we're coming a little bit late to the punch bowl here. Um, it's mostly backwash at this point. <laughs> uh, or, or just the melted ice. Um, so I'm um, people might be familiar with this story. Catherine McKenna went to a Loblaws somewhere in her riding, probably a couple blocks from here. yeah, I was gonna say it was
1: somewhere in her riding There's one like <laughs> 10 blocks away
0: uh somewhere in her riding and gave them twelve 13 million dollars for 12 million.
1: It was a third of the or they were gonna pony up 36 million
0: or yes. the rest of the 36 million rather. so why why did she give this money? Uh,
1: because it was, they had done a, done their, their due diligence and it was the investment that would generate the greatest emissions reductions. First of all, I don't of the people who applied to the program. Of the people who applied to the program. Which is, which is one of the many problems here. Yes. They weren't just
0: like Earl in Winnipeg, Manitoba. (laughs) Come on down. Your gas lawnmower (laughs) is being replaced with. Or... Buddy who's rolling coal, guess what? You get a new Honda Prius. Yeah, they would love that. And Hondas don't make Prius, but ignore that. They do not. (laughs) Um, What was I going to say? Okay, so first, just from a very quick and trite communications perspective, I think one of the reasons she got piled on here is because the live stream tweet of this was uh, Minister McKenna gives away $12 uh, $12 million rather than Minister McKenna makes investment to reduce emissions by X. Yeah. Like, like the benefit That's, here is, like, the government is happy not about spending the money. It's about doing the thing. It's about doing the thing. Yeah. And
1: that was sometimes, not, that is not the way happy, this was framed. Sometimes you're happy to spend the money. But on something as touchy as emissions reductions that, like, half the population doesn't believe is, well, not half, but, like, a, a significant minority of the population doesn't believe is a thing you need to be doing. Like, you know? Yeah. I can I can see why. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's just dumb.
0: Talk yeah. talk about the emit like the government of Canada is investing. That's the thing is, the people who don't do believe, X. the
1: people who don't believe emissions reductions are important don't like the government spending money either. So it's just it's kind of a lose lose there. Just, well, yeah, just go for the emissions reduction. Yes,
0: There's no, and no one's no one's happy about giving Loblaw's twelve million dollars. I mean, Loblaw's is. G- Galen Weston.
1: <laughs> yeah. Mr. Is it fourth richest person in Canada?
0: To a certain extent, this reminds me. There was a Blackberry announcement recently um, yep. in the, I guess that's the west end of town, um, where one of the journalists talked to the CEO or the president or whatever the role was. Yeah. And was like, Did you guys need this money? And the guy was just like, No. <laughs> and I'm actually astonished that they didn't get carried further. Yeah. Because it was just such a bold omission. The, the guy didn't seem particularly media trained or media savvy. But he was just like, "No, we were going to do this anyways." And they just they just offered us money, essentially. Great, like this sort of ugh. okay. So explain explain the government's position here and why the government how the government is defending this.
1: Sure. So I mean, from their point of view and their their sort of interpretation, it's like, well, I don't know why everyone's mad. This is going to reduce emissions, and in fact, it's going to reduce emissions by the the most of any way we could have spent this money. That's that's their thinking on it. Um, I think like. So I personally don't think at this point that a carbon pricing centered approach to reducing emissions is one that is going to do enough in the time we have to prevent significant warming that it's that it will work. And I think if you look at the report of every auditor general in Canada from a couple of years ago that looked at all of the provinces and the federal government's emissions reductions efforts, they will tell you the same thing, that what we are doing is not enough and that the like we require significantly more to be done uh pricing i think is not a fast enough model unless you jacked it up really really high really really fast but that would have its own disruptive elements that would be not cushioned by any anyway at any rate suffice to say i have some issues with carbon pricing i think fundamentally it is fine and i think uh, an, an important part of a toolkit of fighting climate change But at this point, it's probably too late to have it be the centerpiece. At any rate, the theory is that as the carbon price increases and as the carbon price is introduced, uh, companies and individuals will take steps to reduce their emissions, such as to reduce their carbon tax liability. um, And there you go, that will reduce emissions over time. Giving an enormously profitable company run by the fourth richest man in Canada, $12 million that presumably could have spent on their own in the context especially where we have a framework where theoretically galen weston looks at a balance sheet and says hmm you know what would make sense is investing a small portion of my profits into a more efficient refrigerator fleet i don't know if you have a fleet of refrigerators <laughs> with the collective <laughs> refrigerator now stock a chill of refrigerators, a chill of refrigerators. <laughs> so that's that's i think the the sort of consider i think there there's like both on the we're giving away money to companies and individuals who do not need it and who could be making these investments on their own. And B, it is a undermining of the logic of carbon pricing to begin with are kind of the two levels that people are mad at here. I think for good reason. I think they're both very good reasons to be angry at this. But there you
0: go. So like in the in the toolbox, right, there's sort of the way the government has structured their environmental policies, The the high level centerpiece, as you alluded to. Is the carbon price. Yeah. That, that's sort of number one. Yeah. And then number two is rags. Yeah. And then c- number three, which that's is... That's short for regulations. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> number three, which is among the least effective, is like picking and choosing different little pet projects to throw money
1: well, at. Well, I would say, I would kind of push back a little on that in the sense that they're there, if you talk about a sort of concerted industrial policy or sort of r&d strategy on renewables or that kind of thing i can see that where you're going to make some some experiments that work and some that don't and i think that that's like not unreasonable because if you do get a breakthrough you're like you're laughing all the way to the bank but this is not that yeah no that's i just want to say that like there's a role for that kind of like like basket larding sure this is not if
0: you want to put strategic investments into Solar panels or cylindra, <laughs> goddammit! it! <laughs> carbon carbon capture we're and still storage. Shit about that, um, inserting dust into the upper atmosphere. I like how you
1: picked the real one and threw in two just like fake dead ends. <laughs> Congratulations. Which, which
0: whichever one of these you want. Okay, um, like yes, sure. Uh, I'm with I'm with you that far. However, when it comes to trying to pick up the la- no, this is... the laggards of it yes. who are the people who should be most incentivized be... by the carbon yes. pricing and the regulations. They
1: should be adapting on their own or be going out of business, right? Like, that's how that should work if you believe strongly in a market-centered framework.
0: Yes, but <laughs> instead picking the laggards of the bunch and giving them money for things that presumptively their competitors have done... Yeah. Um... Not good, but, from a market or climate perspective. Yeah. Because so, there's an
1: incentive to not change because you're going to get a bailout. <laughs> this is what economists call moral hazard.
0: And so the government has a $500 million pot of money that this $12 million was a part of. Mm-hmm. They've only done a few announcements. They have a ton more yeah. probably in the bag over the next few months. They're probably <laughs> probably going to reconsider how <laughs> they do those announcements yeah, um, based on lessons learned from this debacle. Um, but fundamentally, a $500 million pot to undercut other parts of their strategy is an interesting approach.
1: Yeah. It, I mean, it's it's not good. Especially when you can... Yeah, once again, Galen Weston, a guy with $13 billion to his name. Like, oh, very frustrating. Like, many, many more times than the size of this fund in total. It is uh, genuinely aggravating to have this kind of thing. Um, in general, I mean, I think... the. I find this very strange that the liberals are, like, really wanting to talk about climate change a lot. Like, they, every time they've tried to change the channel in the past, like, month and a half on the SSC, SNC thing, it's been, like, well, climate—remember when Jerry Butts resigned and he had his, like, big letter where he was like, but climate change, remember, folks? And then it's—if in if you watch Question Period every day, you get the conservatives going up and saying, when will the Prime Minister actually sue Andrew Scheer? and then barter Chagger will get up and say mr speaker um they don't have a plan on climate change and then move on from there and it's like very frustrating to watch because the liberals also don't really appear to have a plan on climate change except in the sense that like their plan is to have a plan and that that fulfills the political requirement and they don't really care that it's like not actually enough to get us to our paris targets or that you know like Anyway, very frustrating. I think it's incredibly cynical and it makes me really, 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 really deeply angry at them um, because it is just cynical and hypocritical and I wish they were called out more on it. Um, I, I really do hope that that is a centerpiece of, of other parties' approach to addressing the liberals on this going forward because it, it is just such a glaring failure and a conscious knowing failure when they're declaring victory when they're not anywhere close I, I mean like I grew up in the states I've seen that particular movie before on an aircraft carrier with a big mission accomplished banner <laughs> and that's kind of the like the liberal approach on climate change pretty much is the fucking mission accomplished banner in like <laughs> septi- like whatever that was like August of 2003 and it's like here we are anyway uh, clearly I have some uh, some anger pent up about that particular issue. Uh, speaking of liberal hypocrisy, actually, I guess that takes <laughs> us to our other uh, big item that we want to talk about. And that was the changes in the Budget Implementation Act to uh, asylum seekers. I don't really know like, what the proper... Asylum seeking? Asylum shopping, I guess, is what the liberals have branded it as?
0: Well... Asylum claimants and okay. any of these words, I uh, incorrectly used yeah. the word migrant recently. The new that, trend of asylum is, asylum couponing. That is that is <laughs> incorrect. Um, so, very quickly, the Budget Implementation Act followed the uh, budget, which As is a communications document. Weird how that keeps happening. Uh, always an omnibus piece of legislation. Typically, is I mean, the liberals' line on this has been to only include things that are relevant to sure. what is in the budget document. Yeah, like deferred prosecution agreements. <laughs> and... um, the refugee policy, as announced, was again breaking asylum with that. Asylum claimant, to be clear. or or sorry, yeah, we yes. should be we should be precise about that. Yes, uh, asylum claimants was again breaking with that, and this is seemingly the first and only thing that Bill Blair has done in his mandate as king of crime. As uh, king of crime and border security yeah um
1: so, uh, this bia is shorter than the last one i believe it is so the trend has reversed now
0: yeah the last one maxed out over 800 pages this one is in the three to four hundred page range i believe mm. um so sub- substantially shorter um yeah but there's still i mean there's still a lot of things in there as with any bia yes um so this this was among the changes and there were some other changes to the refugee policy and erpa broadly but this was certainly the one that made the most noise so let's talk about it um and before we do that let me let me put on a caveat here I'm, i'm not an immigration lawyer i actually have a lot of outstanding questions about this policy that i don't think um have been reported on i don't think the answers are necessarily known um so I mean I'm, I'm happy if any lawyers feel free to chime in on Twitter if you have any better sense of how this is going to work but at this point I think there are a lot of question marks um, so fundamentally what the changes are uh, is that it makes it so that asylum claimants coming from countries with which Canada has uh, an immigration information sharing arrangement Will uh, If they have made a claim in the country which they're coming from, they will not be able to make a claim in Canada. Okay. Okay.
1: Which, like, was that's like the idea behind the Safe Third Country Agreement.
0: No. No. So let me... What's dra- different here? So let me draw an initial distinction between Safe Third. This one is functioning on the basis of basically Canada being able to verify with another country, that the individual in question has launched a claim in that country okay safe third says you are responsible for making a claim in the first country in which you arrive in gotcha
1: i i yeah i just meant to say that like the idea broadly like the intent is to prevent quote-unquote asylum shopping
0: yes sure uh, but for for what we're about to talk about, there's there's distinctions that I'm going to make here that are necessary. Sure. Um, so first, let's talk about what countries this applies to. Um, the only description of countries with which Canada has a uh, information information sharing agreement, I believe, is the Five Eyes. Okay. Um, being, Which is,
1: We're getting a lot of refugees from Australia and New Zealand, so that's well, good. Well,
0: I mean, Australia... The Austra- is well, New Zealand in Five Eyes? I yes. forget. Okay. Australia, I, yeah. New Zealand, UK, Canada, the US.
1: Okay. So are you telling me that orcs have access to our security information?
0: <laughs> so, Five Eyes, I, I don't know that we have any. I didn't see it reported. A lot of the news reports just said an extremely small number of countries. Okay. Um, but it seems like it's most obviously the Five Eyes. Um, of of note among the five eyes, most of those are islands, right? Um, and, well, and there are islands at the other ends of the earth. Yes, in the cases. Um, so it's pretty clear yeah. that and the
1: UK also is like not exactly
0: a hop, skip, and a jump. No, so it's. I mean, it's. Nor pretty... do we share a four thousand mile land border with them. Yes, so it's it's pretty clear that the United States is the outlier uh, and is very different. But nonetheless, the idea would be, and this would apply to the uh, to the UK. Someone goes to the UK, makes their refugee claim or their asylum claim. Yeah. I don't know. For whatever reason, they decide they want to come to Canada. Sure. And make a claim. Yeah. They come to Canada, they make a claim, say, oh, wait, you just got off the plane from the UK. Did you make a claim there? Maybe the person says yes. Maybe they say no. Canada verifies it with the UK. They say, ah, yes, that individual made a claim. This change would permit Canada to be able to send the person back. But here's here's where I'm gonna flag sort of the first big question mark looming over all of this. Does the UK agree to take them back?
1: I I don't know. I mean it seems like we can't really put that in our legislation. <laughs> well, that's the thing, right?
0: <laughs> like the idea of the safe third country agreement is often when you make these, it's an agreement between two countries. Right. In this case, we've made a unilateral change or a unilateral decision. Yeah. Involving The
1: safe third country decision. For
0: other countries to say that, you know, in these cases, we're going to send people back to you. And I don't think we know publicly whether or not any of these other countries have agreed to that. Um, Because whenever you're doing these, like, these immigration cases, when you're handing custody of an individual back, when you're returning them, that's often done through agreements between the two states. You can't just, like, Canada can't just take people and send them to a given country and say, here, here you guys go. We've, we flew them over on the Air Canada jet just for you. Please, please take them in now. It's it's just not really the way it works. Um, So I don't think we've seen many details about that arrangement with any of the other countries. Um, I mean, frankly, including the United States, because if there are cases of this that fall outside of safe third, will the United States take them back? Like, the United States is bound, you know, agrees and cooperates under safe third. Yeah. And individuals exchange custody under safe third. But.
1: Yeah. I Yeah, that. I don't know. I mean, I, you don't know the answer.
0: <laughs> I, I don't know the answer. I don't either. Um, so let's. So let's leave that big question mark looming. And let's talk about the Canada-US border. Sure. Um, so. A few... One of the reports the I saw... The land
1: contrasts, you could
0: say. Yes. One of the reports I saw, uh, there were two interesting facts. One is that it applies... This change will only apply to about 8 or 9% of the claimants that have come across between ports of entry, the mm-hmm. illegal or irregular uh, claimants. In the past two years, I think the number is about 40,000 people. And so this number would, in future, apply to about 8,000 of those people. Sure. Um, so it's not patching the loophole in the safe third that has long been discussed and debated.
1: Right. The backdoor part of entry loophole, as we called it. Yes. Yes.
0: Uh, because this is only applies to a fraction of those. So it's not like a full closing of that loophole. Um, but I've also seen Canadian media, uh, media report that it doesn't really interact with safe third, which also doesn't really make sense to me. Um, because... Yeah, why wouldn't it? Well, okay, so the idea and the intent of the policy is obviously to capture those who are uh, benefiting from the quote-unquote loophole in Safe Third, right? But the people under Safe Third or who are going into the United States, making a claim, yeah, and then coming across to Canada, okay? The Safe Third typically would catch many of those people, Um, And say, no, you're already in the United States, you need to go through. But there are exemptions to safe third, such as unaccompanied minor or having family in Canada. Mm -hmm. So are those people going to be able to apply through the exemptions under safe third country agreement? Or are they going to be caught by this new provision that says all of the exemptions are out the window, basically, if you made a claim? Right. So if you didn't make a claim in the United States... And you try and you go to a port of entry and you say, I'm and an, um, I'm an were... unaccompanied minor. Right. They say, okay, well, you, you didn't make a claim in the U.S., therefore, you're not caught by this higher level ra- or yeah. this higher level change, so therefore, you're good under safe third. Right. But if you did make a claim yeah. and you go through and you try and use one of these exemptions, which one are you going to be caught by? Right. That's what's very unclear to me, and I don't think there's been any sort of reasonable reporting on.
1: So I think... A big part of what made people very angry about this in the sort of immigration law community is um, the prospect of people being basically deported without a hearing, I think, is was the,
0: a sore well, point. So, some of this goes... Okay, and this is where I, I admittedly get a little outside of my depth. So, the hearing that you would have in these cases is called a, a pre-removal risk assessment. Right. Obviously, is substantially less comprehensive than going through the full IRB process. Yeah, um, it's. I don't know. So there's a 1985 decision called the Singh decision. Right. That basically was the impetus for the modern immigration refugee board as it currently exists. Yeah. I don't know that Singh cases apply. In cases where the deportation is being moved to a safe third, and that's sort of how safe third has always right. been applied, as opposed to sort of your standard concerns over non-refoulement, which is returning to the countries where right. someone's life, life is at risk. Yeah. Um, to put a pin, in, because sure. I, I'm, I'm going to go where I think you want to go, which is the conversation around fundamentally: is the United States a safe third country?
1: I think that's part of it, but yeah, we can talk about that.
0: So let's go there very quickly because it's actually, I I think it's the central question to all of this.
1: Yeah, because I I mean, there are serious like process concerns about the fairness of their like claims assessment. In the sense, the weeds covered this some time ago. Uh, If you don't listen to it, it's it's a reasonably good podcast about American policy and politics, uh, where they said if you if you're making an asylum claim and your case goes to the federal immigration judges in New York, you're like 85% chance of of getting your your claim uh, approved. If it's going to the one in Atlanta, it's something like 20 yes. around that. And It's just like that is not like an equitable process, obviously. There's something wrong there. There's the other half of this too, which is, I mean, the very visible like mistreatment of asylum claimants uh, by – their uh, Customs and Border Protection and Immigration and Customs Enforcement, where, you know, famously the kids in cages thing. Uh, and they don't appear to be like, I think there's a legitimate doubt as to whether if you put people back into U.S. immigration custody and enforcement, like if they're going to be treated adequately and humanely. Like we have had deaths, we've had sexual abuse, diseases, like exposure, kids come back like basically shell shocked. Like there are real concerns there.
0: Yes. Uh, and i i don't dispute any of that but that takes us back to sort of the the underlying premise of safe third which is which is alluded to in its name yeah that the united states States is a safe third yeah so just
1: why i mean you had like the ndp among others saying we should suspend that because it's clearly not yeah
0: um but as with much of ndp policy um (laughs) there's there's problems and big big questions Sure, i I
1: don't think anyone's saying that this is like a no but let's a simple thing but but like
0: bear with me for just a second sure so we're on the border of the united states we have you know a a very accessible border to the united states and the united states at any given time because of their own backlogs has something like five or six hundred thousand people um in their claims process yeah five or six hundred thousand it's a lot of people it is a lot of people so the, that's
1: like a little less than a new brunswick's worth
0: yeah so the the, the agreement it's about a newfoundland's worth i
1: guess
0: yeah pretty close yeah the the agreement that was signed safe third many moons ago was largely with the intent of preventing duplicative uh yeah. paperwork so applying on both sides um and then going with the country that was more likely to yeah. um process your claim in a manner that uh, benefited you, right? Sure. And so it's not hard. And I, like,
1: I think that that makes like ton, like that makes sense. Like so, I have no so, problem with the idea behind that.
0: So it's not hard to see yeah. why Canada wanted to be party to this agreement. Sure. Because the ability for the numbers from the United States to so quickly overwhelm the Canadian system yes. is is very real. Well, and yes, yeah. So as we, as we saw last year, what we've seen since the signing of Safe Third is perhaps an increasing disparity in sort of the the standard of deviation between the rates of successful claims in the United States yeah. versus the rates of successful claims in the United uh, sorry, in Canada versus the United States. Yeah. So there's always been somewhat of a dispar- uh, disparity between averages, yeah. call it, you know, in Canada, if you're 5% more likely to get your claim approved than in the United States, is is that, you know, grossly disproportionate? No, like it's, it's, you know, it's within reason. Yeah. Um, we don't know all the factors that are going into it or the claims coming from different areas. So be it. But as you see this number grow, the question becomes, at what point do you reconsider that premise of it being a safe third? Right. And then the other question, and so that, that could be an objective question But the other thing that hangs over you is that number of 600,000 potential claimants. Not to say everyone is going to come to Canada, um, but there is certainly the potential for a large influx of claimants that makes policymakers very nervous. Well, and
1: like, yeah, we we definitely saw that last year that like it became a very polarized thing and very, uh, you know, very contentious. And I think the liberals with this are responding to that. And, you know, I, I'm not the first person to point it out, but we've come a long way from Welcome to Canada, and Canada's back, but there you go.
0: Yes. So, I mean, to, to bridge very quickly to the comms angle, I mean, very obviously the liberals have uh, taken an axe to many of the pillars of their their branding over the past few years that they fought hard for. Yes. Uh, the feminism, the inclusivity... Etc. I think this is sort of them taking the axe on one of the final trees in the forest. <laughs> um, that was their perceived position on uh, openness, openness, so, immigration, yeah. refugee issues. Yeah. Um, it because it just doesn't jive with everything that they've ever said on this.
1: Yeah, and to, and like politically, if we can, I, I, did you have anything else to say on the substantive <laughs> policy side of this? Just because I think this is worth discussing a little bit from the sort of policy or political angle.
0: Yeah, I. So just. Very quickly on the final policy, the conversation we just had is one that I don't think has been had very clearly in public. I don't think many articles sort of talk about the rationality of weighing the pros and cons yeah. and of the costs, uh, the very real costs of the decisions in one direction or the other. Yeah. No, I think that's that's like that's definitely the case. <laughs> and and to make one further point, I think immigration issues are an area that require very specialized journalists yeah of which i, I can only think of one immigration issues uh journalist who works for the canadian press i don't know that we have any of these immigration journalists in canada anymore and a lot of issues of immigration are incredibly complex yeah and which is why we saw a journalist with the Huffington Post recently like completely mangle the conservative track record on immigration because while they cut some things here, they did things over here and that had to be taken all together. And if you only see one side of the one you know, sliver of it, you misunderstand how the entire system is working, basically. Sure.
1: Yeah. Uh, so from the, the political side, uh, your point about um, them taking axe to their own brand pillars here is the critical one. And I think like i don't know how this turns out for them right because i think what you're you're only as good as your brand you know in politics i think in a lot of ways people have to have that association of you with stuff they like and i think with this kind of like cynical jettisoning of the stuff that made people excited about them i just don't really see how they kind of get back on the horse in a meaningful way like do they maybe win the next election like yes though that's looking increasingly precarious as much as I think polls in an election year can be a bit volatile, like, I think every indication is that they've got a real fight on their hands, but this stuff really cripples them for the long term, like, I just don't know what a second mandate Justin Trudeau government is going to stand for, what it's going to do, I have no sense of their direction, they feel completely rudderless, like, I, I just, like, what do they stand for at this point, right, like, what is it?
0: Not to respond to that question, but to, to raise my own point. Sure. <laughs> um, I
1: think it's a hypothetical, and, and like liberals, I actually would love to hear from you what you think. Like, it, not being Andrew Shear is great, and I, I think you know, not being Andrew Shear is a very good thing. But like, you're gonna have to have better answers than that for people.
0: One final point from me: I think looking at this, so this was effectively a one line change in a budget implementation act. It took them two years and a minister of border security, yeah, to do this. Yes. What does that tell you about their policymaking process? It took them two years, yeah, and then after most of the headlines on this have died down, um, self-inflicted wound. Most yeah. like most of the the public crisis and the outcry on this has been—it's in the past. At this point. It's it's yeah. almost a year late. Yeah. Uh, it's one to two years late. And all it is is a one-line change inserted into a budget implementation act.
1: Yeah, maybe they thought no one was going to catch it. Took them <laughs> I don't...
0: so long. Yeah. Just, just bewildering.
1: Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on on the kind of the like where like what do they stand for at this point? Question or is it so mood for you?
0: I, I think if if I were to put my liberal hat on, I think they would say something to, to the effect of. Your porridge is too hot, your porridge is too cold, our porridge is just right.
1: God, I remember the last election, it was the, like, Stephen Harper sees a terrorist behind every bush. Tom Mulcair sees a civil rights violation behind every bush. We think that some terrorists and some civil rights violations are eh, fine. It's okay. (laughs) I
0: I mean, that's fundamentally what it is, right? So when when I pulled out the stat that said, you know, this is 8.5% of the people going across. Too much. Well, they're they they'll jump on that. Yeah, it, it could be a sign of an ineffectual policy, or they'll say, "No, this, this is very we we reasonable. just wanted to cut the numbers by yeah. eight point five percent." But I
1: just, I just mean like more broadly, though, like what is the kind of like pitch that Justin Trudeau is going to make to voters besides not being Andrew
0: Shear? I mean, it's it's going to be the same pitch because cognitive dissonance is. This is a hell of a thing. But are
1: like is are people gonna buy it? Like I just don't think that people are, are like many, real change from what? Like Many I, people will. Yeah, I'm yes, many people will. Uh the the, the chicken wine shamrock people are have <laughs> have showed me that there is a definite like liberal death cult that will follow them off the cliff. Uh, but I I really just like am at a bit of a loss for like what people are seeing like what? Like what is they stand for apart from not being the conservatives? Which, like, once again, I will say, like, that is good. Not being the conservatives is a good thing, but it's, it it's, just—it's
0: not a good thing. It folks. It is not
1: really like enough. Like, lots of people aren't the conservatives. Most parties aren't the conservatives. Sixty to sixty-five to seventy percent of people don't vote for conservatives in any given election. Like, you just have to be Ex- a little more appealing.
0: Except for the Alberta election, am I right? Well, I said federal elections i'm not sure you have yeah. to roll, I I have to roll the clear. tape i, I pretty, knew, I well, knew I that's what you're talking about. Is there any, yeah i know okay
1: um so there, there's that uh so a couple last little loose ends i want to talk about this last time but we went on a bit is this the elm tree this is not the elm tree
0: that's a good one too though did we talk about the elm tree we've last never or? talked about the elm Tree. well we
1: should save it for another time um When C-92 was uh, debated unexpectedly in the House the other week, and that's the Indigenous Child Welfare Bill, um, there was a bit of a kerfuffle from the opposition parties. Uh, Kathy McLeod got up uh, during her her speech and said the following. And keep in mind, this was a Tuesday, I believe, uh, after a break week where the bill had been introduced on the previous Thursday. Uh, She got up and said... There is an agreement in the House that when a bill is tabled on a Thursday, my caucus gets to look at that bill on Wednesday, the following Wednesday, obviously, so that all of my caucus members have the benefit of understanding what the bill looks like before it is debated in the House. That agreement is pretty fundamental to the proper functioning of the House and the Liberal government violated that agreement with this legislation. It was tabled on a Thursday, and there's been no caucus meeting since. There was a commitment that we would discuss the bill after we had caucus meetings." Uh, this was kind of in the context of the voter, Votapalooza nonsense, all that stuff. So it was a contentious time in the house, a spicy time in the house. Yes. Uh, so tensions were running high, but yeah, that that was it's a convention that very few people are aware of. In fact, I was not aware of it until I, I heard about it uh, in the context of this, but it does sort of make a lot of sense that if a bill is tabled and that's the first time anyone outside of like the department of justice drafters the minister blah blah, blah a couple other people see it the opposition parties are going to need time to go through it talk to stakeholders develop an opinion present the critics are going to have to present it to caucus and get some consensus in the room as to what the position looks like um if you're doing that before you're basically like you're essentially making the opposition come out with a uh less informed position and you know uh, as someone who's uh believes very strongly in, in nerd debates uh you're really lowering the the quality of debate in the house which is of course something no one wants to see
0: i, I mean i'm with you I'm
1: yeah here, here here to keeping the gentleman's conventions did that's you? that's what we that's what we live for we live for that um yeah i think that that more or less does it for us today uh did you
0: have anything else there's one one last thing on the agenda
1: Yes, you should vote in the poll about whether or not we should get a new logo, which currently seems to be skewing towards uh, we should not get a new logo.
0: Laurent is anti-logo, for the record. I think we. Could, I think the look could use a refresh. I I made the logo on Photoshop in like, not very long, and I thought it was really good. I mean, it was. It's fine. It's you just know, I'm I think open we could, to changing the font, but I thought the logo was good. We and could Laurent, use a refresh. Laurent has been instead of buying new microphones, Laurent has been coming at my logo. <laughs>
1: Well, we have adequate mics. We just have a terrible recording setup. It's different.
0: <laughs> a nuance, I'm sure people Di- appreciate. Different problem.
1: Uh, yeah, we're actually back on the couches today. This this might be our new format because it is a uh, it is good.
0: So, if you listen to this in the next 24 hours, please go vote on Twitter and tell Laurent he's an idiot.
1: Unless you think we we need a new fresh look and that we could just we could. You know, we could spruce it up a bit. You just think change is good, and that you're receptive to it.
0: See, I told Laurent to draw his alternative proposal logo, and he refused to do so.
1: No, I think uh, I think we're just we're gonna love whatever comes out at the other end. It's like Brexit. It's just like you know, you you just gotta have faith that it's gonna work out. And then when it doesn't, you got to just keep delaying forever <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> until the island sinks beneath the waves.
0: Under construction.
1: Yeah. Um, also, uh, yeah, no, that pretty much is it. I guess the tragedy of the fire at Notre Dame today was really sad and extremely bummed me
0: out. I skipped um, Notre Dame the last time I was in Paris, so that's that, really... feels, that feels bad. I mean,
1: to be honest, like, I didn't spend a ton of time there because it was incredibly crowded and, like, you know... You know, you've seen a couple of cathedrals. You've seen a lot of cathedrals. It's kind of like okay, it's a cathedral, but it was a really, admittedly, very impressive one. And also, just the, it's a beautiful like just you can see it from like along the river. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, I saw it. The exterior, in many ways, is kind of more impressive. But you know, yeah, very sad. That's you hate to see it. Really, at the end of the day. Yeah. yeah. Uh One of my favorite architects was involved in the nineteenth century. No, we're not. We're not so. doing it. We're not doing it. Okay. Yep, that'll do it. Uh, we didn't have a beer this week. I don't yeah, I tend not fail to bring any over.
0: I blame you. <laughs> <laughs> I provide them seventy five
1: percent of the time. Yeah, you do, admittedly. That's cause you just you always have beer at your house. I don't. You gotta
0: you gotta rectify this. Indeed.
1: Alright, well thanks for listening everyone, and uh rate and review us on iTunes, of course Because that's always helpful. Uh follow us on Twitter at TwitterPantsPod, and that'll do it. Bye bye!